the book of Acts, chapter 17. We've got some good stuff coming. I don't know about you, but every week has been something that I've been able to relate to in my life. It's been working me. And this one, I don't know why I should have been surprised, but the Lord really kind of got to me on this one. You hear my wife giggling. You'll, hear, you'll know why later. So verse 1 says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. We've all heard of that. Where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Well, where is Amphilius and Apollonia and Thessalonica? Thessalonica was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. So think about it. The state of California is the state. Where's our capital? Sacramento. That was what Thessalonica was in Macedonia. To get to Philippi, Timothy and Paul and Silas traveled about 100 miles west along the Via Ignete. You guys ever heard of that? The Roman road. There's still this road, still pieces of it still exist today. A 1,200 mile long road that you could travel through these, all these different regions. It's still there. It's a, parts of it's in Istanbul and Turkey, west of Albania. Amphilopolis and Apollonia were cities in the route from Philippi to Thessalonica. Them's all hard words, huh? Jason Hart last week said, just say Jamestown. Every time you come to hard word, just say Jamestown. We'll know what you're talking about. And I said, that kind of, yeah, I get that, but it kind of, it kind of, uh, you know, how do, I want to get the picture of, of this route that they're on. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. So how many weeks was that? Three. Three Sabbaths he was there reasoning with them, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. You need to know that. Now we know that it was Paul's belief to take to the gospel to the Jews first. Why? Because they were ones, the ones to whom the scriptures were prophesied about the Christ. And they had been given to them. Therefore, they should be first to recognize Jesus as the Christ. Of course, we know that most did not. Whom they had been waiting for for so long. When Paul declared, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. It also said he reasoned with them. You know, this can be a tricky word in the Christian faith. Sometimes too much reasoning on our part can get us into trouble. You know, to, you, you reason things. Well, you know, I, I know that you say God can heal me, but, you know, but, and we, we reason too much. But it's interesting here. Paul was reasoning and, and demonstrating. He was explaining and demonstrating Often hot times, it's hard for us to explain something, but our lives must demonstrate the truth that we believe. 
Does that make sense to you? Our lives have to do the demonstrating for us. Do people know what you believe? Are you living what you're saying? It's important that we reason appropriately as well as demonstrate with our lives on how we're living. Verse 4, And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and, a not, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So the devout Greeks, it says a great multitude. These were Gentiles who were proselytes, which that means they became Jewish believers. They were Greeks who, who went into the Jewish religion and began to believe and be Jewish believers, but they were Greek by birth. These and these in great numbers believed and joined themselves to the apostles and became followers. Then there were Jews who were <clears throat> the most adverse to the gospel and were, who were hardened and incredulous. And the leading women, it says not a few. That means there's, there's a bunch of women who, they were Greek women, but they now believe. It was easier for the Greeks to accept it because they didn't spend their whole life sacrificing, you know, and doing all the things that the Jewish people were having to do to be remission of their sins and all those things. This was a simple way to believe God and God is so good and they believed and they began to follow Christ. Verse 5 but the Jews who were not persuaded, oh, there's always those, they became envious and took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob and set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Well, why the house of Jason? Because they were staying at Jason's house. That's why. And they had already moved on, but they went and got Jason and they drug him out. I like this very scripture out of the, new, out of the King James Version. Listen to this. Acts 17.5, out of the King James Version. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Don't you just love that? Just certain lewd fellows, these were bad people of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set the city in uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. What, do you think that ever happens in today's world? How about January 6, 2021? The attack on our capital. I guarantee you there were lewd fellows of the baser sort that got in the middle of that mix and just upset everybody. And next thing you know, people were marching on the Capitol doing horrible things. Horrible things. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of Trump supporters in there, and I think there was a whole that just got carried away with these guys that came in and wanted to do damage to our Capitol. So it still happens. Acts 17, 6 says, but when they had not found them, okay, that's Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they dragged Jason and some brethren into the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Praise God for that statement. They were actually 
point and put a dig in on the disciples. But man, they, they were turning the world upside down. That is a huge compliment. Are you turning the world upside down in your world? You need to be. Well, maybe we should be saying turning the world right side up. You know, instead of upside down, turning it right side up. We need to be serving the holy God, the one true God. They were trying to put a dig in and they actually gave us a compliment. Because verse 7, it says, Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the degrees of Caesar saying there's another king, King Jesus. Well, do you really think these Jews cared about Caesar? Come on. They didn't care a lick about Caesar or his degrees. They were envious that everybody was following them. They said they left and all these people began to follow Paul and Silas around. They're leaving the synagogue. They were jealous. Verse 8, and they troubled the crowd, those lewd, baser sort of people. And the rulers of the city then heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, he let them go. Well, taking security, what does that mean? It means exactly what it tells. It's bail. They let them go. Hey, you pay us some money and you promise that you're never going to bring these guys back to town. We'll let you go. So they took money from them and let them go. It's exactly what it said it was. Verse 10 says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogues of the Jew. Well, we know this is, this is Paul's MO. This is what he does. He first gets into a city. He starts looking for a synagogue of the Jews. So that's where he goes. Well, where is Berea? It's located about 43 miles southwest of Thessalonica. Berea still exists as a small city, about 50,000 people, and it's called Verona today. The journey from Thessalonica to Berea took about two days on foot. Let's go to verse 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Please, please, please pay attention to this scripture. Don't just take what I say and believe it. Search the scriptures for yourself. Do the work. Do the work. I've had really good people say to me, I'm just not growing in the faith. It's just not happening. I would say very first thing out of my mouth, how much are you in the word? Well, I hear it on Sundays. Well, there you go. Hear it on Sundays just isn't enough. You got to be in the Word. This is the this of uh, this, of course, requires every Christian to read and study the Bible for themselves. And you must, for your everlasting destiny of your soul, must be entrusted to the Word of God and not by what I say. You've got to be entrusted into the Word of God. You need to study it. You need to be a Berean yourself and go to the Scripture and begin to study and, and you know, pull the podcast up and listen to what I said and study it in the Word and see for yourself if what I'm saying is true. Verse 12. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks. That says not a few. I, I don't... I wish he would say a whole bunch of the Greeks. But it says not a few... 
of the Greeks and prominent women as well as men. Verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was being preached by Paul over there in Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. They sent the lewd fellows of the baser sword over to Berea. Let's stir up some trouble. In verse 14, it says, Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. What may the Jews from Thessalonica have thought? They might have concluded, we won. We won. We chased Paul off. Look, those other two are still here, but Paul's gone. What did they? Paul had completed his God-ordained role evangelizing in Berea. So God used the Jews from Thessalonica to move Paul along to his next destination. You know, you might think, man, I just don't know why Satan's so pushing me so hard, attacking me. Maybe it's time to move. Maybe you've got to get moving. Maybe you're stuck in one spot and you need to get up and move. And kept Silas and Timothy a little longer there in Berea to perform, to perform their ordained role. They had jobs to do too. In verse 15 it says, So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come with him with all speed, they departed. Verse 15, those who escorted, escorted Paul, that just means those who were, who were traveling, who, who were taking him. It was their boat. So why did Silas and Timothy go with Paul? Well, besides ministering to the church they had just planted in Berea, they may have served as decoys to throw the Jews off in Thessalonica off Paul's trail and facilitate his escape. We, we don't know exactly. But Paul is such an incredibly intelligent guy, I think, that it shows. Silas and Timothy to minister to him in what is the southern Greece where Athens is. I think I have a map. Pull that map up. Can you guys see that? It's, I don't know how clear it is. But there is Troas here on the, in that tip of Asia. And they went up to Napoleus. There's Philippi. And then you got these little towns, Amphilius and Apollonia and then Thessalonica, and then just a short distance, two days walk, is Berea. And from there, now those two guys stayed and they sent Paul out into the sea, back into the Aegean Sea, and came down to Athens, Athens, Greece. While Rome was the political and entertainment capital of the Roman Empire, Athens was the intellectual and cultural capital of the Roman Empire which had adopted the Greek culture and language. Athens was culturally advanced, socially sophisticated, and aesthetically beautiful, like many major cities we have today. But his spirit was provoked. Did I read uh, verse 16? Now, when Paul waited for them in Athens, he's waiting for, for Paul or for Timothy and Silas to catch up now. Now, it doesn't say anything about, about Luke here, and the writing has changed. If you notice from last week, we were seeing a lot of we's. We did this, we traveled there. That language has ended. I believe probably Luke stayed in Torres or Troas. So here he was waiting for Timothy and Silas to catch up. 
And so now Paul has this opportunity to walk around the city and, and to take in the beauties and the culture and to see what's, what's going on. But the spirit provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. What do you guys think that means? Paul's spirit was provoked over the idols in the Athens. Why? Well, the spirit in Paul is the Holy Spirit. The spirit in the idols is obviously of the demons. The Holy Spirit in Paul was provoked by the demons being worshipped instead of the one true God being worshipped. The translated provoked means, the actual word means to be upset and stirred to anger. Should we talk about idols today? I think we should. First, an idol. Idols are man-made objects of worship. From small figurines to massive statues made of gold, silver, and ivory. Second, idols include the demons leaked to such man-made objects of worship. Look at this scripture in Revelation. Revelation 9.20 says, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues and did not repent of the works of their hands, yet they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They were serving gods that couldn't help them. The things that they looked beautiful, that, that they created with their own hands. Thirdly, idols are anything that people have put in their hearts that could potentially make them sin. What is the consequence of idolatry in the heart? It's being cut off by God himself, and I'm going to show you that in a little while. This is the one that kind of hit me hard this week. And I want to set this up a little bit for you because... I always, I'm, I'm transparent with you. You can see the whole guy here. I try to hide nothing from you. And I'll tell you when I'm wrong. And this last week, I, I made a couple of mistakes and the Lord had to remind me who I am and what it is I'm doing. Now let me say this first of all. God wants us to have the things that we want. He wants us to enjoy this life to the fullest through him. And enjoy the things that he does for us. But sometimes the things that we do, if it takes us away from him, it can become an idol. Ladies quilting can become an idol. You get to thinking about it so much, you're doing it, and I'm just using an example. But you know, you get so involved in the pattern and what you're doing, you forget to give God the glory and, and that he's given us the time and the ability and the place to do this. Little things that we do can take us away from God. Now, you guys know that, you know, Mondays primarily is my day off. But I guarantee you on Mondays, I sit down in the morning and I read the next chapter. And I start, that way I have it kind of in my head and I, I go through the day thinking about that chapter. Even though it's my day off. And I start, and I go to bed that night and I think about the chapter. 
I think about the things that I might say and the stories I might tell. I mean, it's constantly in my head. This is how I put myself to sleep at night thinking about the scripture. Even Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm into the word and I'm thinking about what it is that I'm going to say. God, what do you have me to say out of this set of scripture? But this particular week, this last Monday, I got sidetracked. I get distracted over something that I want. And my wife even said that I could have. Bless her heart. She does have floors coming. You guys heard that a few weeks ago. Yes, I'll be putting floors in before long. But let me show you what I take to this next picture. I've always wanted an MG midget since I was a midget. They came out in 1962, actually 61 in the UK, but 62 in the United States, they shipped them over. The very first ones were this one. It's a 1962 midget roadster. It never had a top on it. It has no door handles. You know, it's, it's a roadster. You gotta reach inside to open the door handle to get in. And Joe knows I've been looking. She's been watching me. This, this, is, the, this is the fun of the, it's the hunt. You know, she's been watching me search and search and search, looking for a project car. And this came up, and, and we both realized, because we've been studying and looking at cars, and we realized this one could potentially have some pretty great value because it's the very first one that came into the United States. They quit making them in 1980. Um, it was, it's an original. And there's no rust in it, at least very little, no rust on the body whatsoever. So I got a caption there. I said, can something like this become an idol? Yeah, pretty easily. And I thank God that the Holy Spirit resides within me because, see, Monday, Joe and I went on a road trip. We went all the way to Santa Cruz to pick this thing up. It had flat tires. We had to use it, come along to get it up on the, on the trailer. I rented a trailer to go get it. And then we it didn't get home till late Monday night. You know, it was well after dark. I couldn't get it off the trailer. So Monday morning, that was no scripture reading. Dude, I got to get this car off the trailer so I can take the trailer back. I'm out there. It, tires are flat. One of them had broken the seal. I had to run down and get a, buy a $20 tire to put on there so I can get it off the trailer. I get it off the trailer. Finally, it's in the driveway. I take the trailer back, drop it off, come back, and I've employed my precious wife to help me get it near the garage. It, it has motor and transmission, but it doesn't run yet. And so I got it near the garage, and then I thought, oh, my neighbor down the street, he's big and strong. I ran down, I got him, and he helped me push it up into the garage. Well, that could have been enough. It's Tuesday now. Still haven't read the scripture. And I thought, I wonder if that paint will polish. It's old paint. I had my little buffer on, and I started buffing on that thing. I started buffing on it, you know. Next thing I know, it's like dinner time. I'm having fun. And does, does God, does, does he dislike me for doing something I enjoy? No. The only thing he disliked about it is it took the time that I normally give to him. Come Wednesday morning, I get up. I didn't go to bed that night thinking about the scripture because I hadn't read it. I didn't know we were going to be talking about idols. Didn't know. 
And come Wednesday morning, I got up. What was on my mind was that cotton picking little blue car. That's what was on my mind. And I started to walk out in the garage and the Lord spoke to me. I said, don't you walk out there. Don't you do it. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. He says, have you even read chapter 17? Well, I did last week, but I haven't read it this week. Don't you think you ought to? Yes, Lord, I do. And he says, fine, get yourself up, dress, shower, and go down to the church. Well, Lord, I, I can sit in my recliner and I, I can do this. No, you can't. I don't trust you. You will get up and you'll go out in the garage and you'll start working on that car. Go down to the church. All right, Lord, forgive me. I, I did not. I will get rid of this thing in a heartbeat. I do not want it to become an idol. Father, I was repentive all the way down here. I got in my office. I opened 17 and I hit this and I went, oh, dear Lord. I've done I've exactly what I was doing. I was taking something I love, something I enjoy, and replacing the time that I spend with God. Even the times when I go to bed and I'm thinking about the scripture, Lord, what would you have me say about this? He, he lost all that. Sitting down and reading the scripture, I, I was, my mind was distracted. I'll be perfectly honest with you, I haven't touched it since. And I know that I will, I'm going to get back to it, but I'm not going to allow it to become in a way between me and God. Because he wants to bless me. He wants me to have the things that I enjoy. He wants to help me make it run good. But not at the cost of my relationship with him. And we have to be careful of the things that we do in our personal lives. It can become an idol and we don't even see it as an idol. And that's why I'm exposing myself and I'm sharing with you, you know, that something I had to repent of this week. That the little things can become idols. And we don't realize, well, Father, it's just a little thing. Yeah, I know, but it took that time away from me. It can be a little thing. Well, look what happens. Look at Ezekiel 14, 6 through 8. It says, therefore, therefore, say to the house of Israel. This is God saying, say to my people, the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols. And turn your faces away from your abomination. Having that little car is not an abomination. But it is if I put him in the way of God in my life. Verse 7, it says, For anyone of the house of Israel or the strangers, those people throughout history who dwell in Israel, who who separates himself from me and sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. See, we don't know what the problem is, is what Ezekiel is saying here. And then you'll come to the house of God and ask the prophet, what does the matter? What's, I, I don't feel the presence of God. I, nothing's happening. And he says, and concerning me, I will answer him. In verse 8, it says, I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Wow. Father, you're not kidding about this, are you? 
He says, no, I'm not. I want you to have the things you enjoy. I want you to enjoy this life and has, take your wife in that car and go right now. I want to bless that, but not if it's going to come between you and me to separate my time. And how many things, now you're sitting, I don't want anybody to answer, but think about it in your own life. How many things potentially could come in the position of you doing this instead of spending time with God? Musicians, it happens all the time because it's in our head and we're going and, and all God wants us to do is stop for a minute, praise him, praise him, thank him that you've given me the ability to, to play this and to do this, but don't ever let it come before that praise, that worship. I'm speaking to me. Amen? Amen. Acts seventeen seventeen. Therefore, we're back to talking about Paul. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentiles, Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Paul takes it to the streets. You want to know where street ministry began? Right there. Verse 18, then a certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and said, what does this babbler want to say? They called him a babbler. Remember where he's at. This is, this is in Satan's territory. This Epicurean, it says, and it goes on, it says, others Others said he seems to proclaim of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul is taking it to the streets and he's preaching. So who are these Epicureans and Stoic philosophers? Epicureans followed the teaching of Epicurus, a third century B.C. Athenian who championed a tranquil life of most modest pleasures and claim that there is no life after death. That's what they believed. The Stoic philosophers, those ones who followed the teaching of Zeno of Citrum, another third century BC Athenian who championed mind over emotions and claimed that there is neither a creator nor universe nor life after death. Paul's message contradicted their beliefs and both groups who therefore called him a babbler. These people were not, he called them a babbler. And they took him and brought him to the, this is verse 19, to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine of which you speak. Well, what is the Aeropagus? Aeropagus literally means the rock, Pegasus of Ares, a figure of Greek mythology. Aeropagus was a rock hill below Pathion, a large pagan temple which ruins have become the temple of the Athens today. Apopagus was where Athens intellectuals gathered to discuss religion and philosophy. So they would get together and talk about all their beliefs and the things that they wondered about. 
Verse 20, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. And after, this is my thoughts, after preaching, faithfully preaching the gospel in the marketplace, the Lord granted Paul an opportunity to attack the spiritual heart of this idolatrous city. Now, I want you to pay close attention to how Paul does this. You're saying, I don't know how to minister to those guys down at the motorcycle shop. I don't know how to minister to those guys down at the bar. I don't know how, you know, to go to the church in the park and, or the park, you know, when there's concerts going on and, and minister. I just don't know how. Listen to how Paul does it. Verse 21. It says, for all the Athens, Athenians, and foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Verse 22 says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Notice how Paul begins this, this speech. He doesn't go, You guys are all going to hell. You guys are off your rocker. There is a true, real, live God. And, but he doesn't do that. He says, I perceive that you're very religious. So he complimented them. He says, verse 23 says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with, the, with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, him I proclaim to you. So he's walking through the city and he sees this altar. It has a big title on it says, To the Unknown God. Why did they have that? Because they wanted to make sure they captured them all. They wanted to make sure they don't forget to worship the one true God. You know, we don't know who he is. We don't know nothing about him. But let's just put him there so he can't get mad at us. And Paul sees this. And I'm sure it was Paul, the Holy Spirit working inside him. He goes, I can use that. I can use that. I think this shows the intelligence that God has given Paul. And that's the Holy Spirit. Remember last week, I gave you the scripture where Paul said, I become all things to all men. He, accompanies, he compliments them on being religious and addresses his speech to the altar of the unknown God. This is brilliant. Was Paul twisting the gospel to please his audience? No. I tell you that he wasn't. No way. Paul starts his message. He doesn't vary from the gospel message one iota. Look at verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. They probably balked a little bit with that. You make these beautiful things, these, these great things, but God's not going to dwell in them. Verse 25, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives the life and breath and all things. Verse 26 says, and he has made from one blood every nation of man to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries boundaries of their dwellings. 
Verse 27, so they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So what is he saying? You guys are groping and hoping. You put the title up there, the unknown God. I'm telling you, I know who he is. And you guys can worship him. This was incredibly intelligent. I like the term that they might grope for him, meaning they might not know exactly what they're doing, but God pays attention and he knows who they're searching for. He knows they're looking for him. Verse 28, for in him we love to move and have our being as also some of your own posts Poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So Paul begins to quote some of their amazing poets. Paul quoted from the 4th and 3rd century B.C. of Archias of Sicily. And Clintheus of Mesa. You see these hard words? Both regions are what is now in Turkey. Verse 29 says, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something that is shaped by art and of man's devising. Verse 30 says, truly these things, truly these times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Why now? Why now? He said he has overlooked us all this time. Because Jesus Christ has died on a cross. That's why now. Now is the time to repent. Because Jesus Christ has paid the price. And he has appointed the day for every man, every woman to hear the truth. Look at verse 31. We're almost done. Because he has appointed a day of which he will judge the world in righteousness by men whom he ordained. By God. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Okay, now that struck a chord. When he mentioned that he was raised from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, verse 32, some mocked, others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Be blessed when someone says to you, talk to me again about it later. Because something's happening. But these others, they, they heard that they began to mock him because they did not believe that it was possible for anybody to be raised from the dead because they didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in any of it. But there were others who said, we will hear this again. So Paul departed from among them, which I'm telling you sometimes in ministry, that's the appropriate thing to do. Say what you got to say and get out. Just get out. You've planted the seed. You've done your part. You've told the truth. You've said what you thought. You've told them who the living true God is. Now it's time to move on. Verse 34, look at that. However, some of them joined him and believed. Among them, Dion, Dionysus, thank you, and how about this next one, Arapagate, 
a woman named Damaris and others with them. Well, why would the resurrection of the dead make them buck? Grief philosophers and intellectuals valued the mind and the logic and viewed the physical body as worthless and expendable. The notion of a body, a bodily resurrection, was incomprehensible to them. It was absolutely incomprehensible. And it's going to take them time. And maybe they never will get it, but some did, some will. Does this mean gospel, or does this mean Paul didn't get the chance to share the gospel? No, he did. Some of those who heard Paul followed him and undoubtedly heard about Jesus and his cross. However, some of them, some men joined him and believed, and among them were these even women too. Paul's address at the Areopagus identified the hearers whom God's appointed times to seek the Lord and find him. You see, God's appointed the time for you to hear the gospel. He appoints us. He appoints the time where it becomes reality. All these years I've gone through and never paid attention to the word of God. Now all of a sudden, I want to hear more. I want to know more. That's where each one of us are. And, and that's what happens when we minister people. You feel like I'm not doing anything. Oh, you are. You're spreading seeds like a farmer who puts out seed. The farmer can't grow anything. It's God's hand that grows the seed that's planted in this earth. It's the rain that comes and waters it. There's a time for everything. And people hear what you have to say. So Paul used where they were at. He used what they were talking about, that their culture had. He used the idols. He used the things that they had that they would understand to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And we can too. We need not to be afraid. God loves all those. I remember not, well, it's been quite a few years now, when it used to be the old BB biker group over there across the street from the park. I introduced them as, as one of the pastors here at the church and just kind of befriended them. And then suddenly one of their guys got sick with cancer. I believe he's passed on since now. And they asked me, we're putting on this, this ride and at the end of the ride, we're all meeting at someone's house and we'd like, to, like you to come and pray for him. Non-believers. I said, absolutely, I would be honored. So Joe and I followed him. Remember that day, there was a bunch of motorcycles. Here we are in a little car driving along, following him. And pulled in the driveway, and it was about 30 people, wouldn't you say? Yeah, about 30 people that gathered around. The guy had a big tumor on his neck. And they, they had this rally and raised money for him. And then they said, hey, we got a pastor that wants to come pray for you. Did any lives change that moment? I don't know. But there were seeds that were planted. To this day, Pete and Pete, the father and son guys who run the club, they consider me their pastor because I prayed for someone. Sometimes we need to talk about how cool their motorcycle is, compliment them and how much hard work they put into it. 
to just open the door to ministry, to find a likeness, something that that all of a sudden you realize there's an opportunity to minister to someone here. You have nothing nothing that you can think possibly that you could relate to them, but there, there may be something that you could see that they would understand. Become all things. It doesn't mean you start drinking with them and carrying on. That, that, then you're good, you've crossed the line. You become all things. I guarantee you, if I went over there to the bar, they're over there still, and if I went over and started drinking, they would probably beat me up and bounce me out on my head. Because they know it wouldn't be right. God pays attention to everything that we do. 